Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hallelujah. If you'll stand with me today, and I will, I'll be mindful of your time. I understand we've had uh, some special presentations and such here today, and I'm not going to take advantage of you fine people uh, concerning that, and so I'll still make sure that we get out here in a proper uh, proper time, whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> subject to interpretation, sincerely. Amen. Uh, Malachi, it's in your Bible. It really is. Malachi, the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter number 2. I want to read verses 14 through 16. I'm continuing here a little bit today on a subject matter I said I would try to uh, exit this year with concerning uh, marriage and homes and families and uh, parental responsibilities and our children, so on and so forth. And so I'm continuing with that uh, this morning. And I'll, I'll try to handle, handle it as gingerly as possible. Honestly, whenever you talk about the, the marriage and, and the, the longevity of marriage, according to Scripture, it is probably one of the harder, harder things to take to task in a church today than what it's ever been. And whenever I speak along the lines of what the Bible speaks of that, I am not trying to make anybody because of life circumstances or things that have arrived in your life to make you feel bad but I'm just trying to go back to the book and I want you to understand that today as as I go here not in any way trying to be insensitive I know sometimes uh having been maybe in some of the paths where some of you've been it may seem or feel uh, like that honestly I'd rather preach on tithes and offerings than I would it seem like marriage in today's society and I'm just uh, just being honest with you uh, my comfort level uh, it's it's uncomfortable to stand up here and uh, not because I don't believe God's word is true but just because as a society we just have a lot of baggage uh, over generations and time that, that have come about and so please please uh, give 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 me the the the, the lead way uh, just to, to speak the word of the Lord without being uh, offended or, 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 or as though I'm, I'm looking at you and so on and so forth. That is not my intent uh, today. Malachi chapter number 2, and now that everybody's nervous, Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 14. The Bible says, the Lord, 14, sorry, and yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously, against the wife of his youth for the Lord the God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away for one covereth violence with his garment saith the Lord of hosts therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously that you deal not treacherously if I can before we get into this this morning just for a little background for understanding Malachi here 
you know, many, many of the, uh, the prophets and the minor prophets in our Old Testament scripture, you can virtually stop at Nehemiah and Job, Psalms, Proverbs, all those other books of the Bible are really tucked back in, in the Bible passages from Genesis to Nehemiah. It's not in chronological order. So Malachi can really be tucked back during the time of Nehemiah in which there was another group that returned to Jerusalem to uh, rebuild the walls and the gates. And what Nehemiah stumbled on in that time is that men were leaving some of their wife, their, their, their wife of their youth, to go after foreign wives. And so that is what he's dealing with here. They, they are dealing with the wife of their youth, youth treacherously by uh, uh, putting them away, that, that one, and going after a foreign wife. And Nehemiah even addresses it in his book. So that's just kind of the stage of the background today. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to be here I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, give me, Lord, the mouth and the tongue of, Lord Jesus, an orator today that I can handle this matter, Lord Jesus, gently, God, in such a way that your word will be, Lord, spoken and dealt with, Lord, but also, Lord, over all the, 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 the degradation or the downward spiral of society, God, from its inception will also, Lord, be highlighted. I pray, God, help me, Lord, in this, this, this difficult, Lord, could be difficult, task and I know Lord Jesus you will bless it because it is your word in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen the church say amen amen, amen. you may be seated this morning so I want to look at again this this covenant commitment that we call marriage today this covenant commitment that we call marriage uh, Malachi even alludes to the idea of this being a covenant there in verse 14 how these men had dealt treacherously with their wives and that this was the wife of their youth and that this was the wife of their covenant, the wife of their covenant, again alluding to that aspect of, of, of marriage today. Amen. And so we have talked about for the past few weeks at different times we have highlighted the concept of commitment. And it's important for any relationship to thrive that there must be, there must be a commitment to that relationship. Uh, whether it's a friendship or whether it is the marital, the marital relationship as well. And I would dare say that our commitment to our relationships is not best measured in the good weather times of our relationships. The fair weather times of our relationships is probably not the best benchmark that's set that, 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 that uh, if you will reveals the, the strength or lack of commitment because when everything is well and, and the bills are paid and, and the washing machine is working and the, the refrigerator is still going and there's good communication between a husband and a wife and it's just a well-oiled machine, that's not when, when commitment or the trial of commitment and, and its proof is really known during that time. It, it, it doesn't take, if I may say, it doesn't take a whole lot of commitment it still takes some but it doesn't take a whole lot of commitment to make the marriage work when everything is is flowers and roses and uh you know rainbows with pot of goads at the end of them that that's not when it's taken the task but it's taken the task many times whenever uh the storm has entered in life 
whenever communication is not up to snuff and there's heartache and difficulties that's all around. However, however, I will mention something else. When everything is well, there is a, another adversary or enemy that can be a, a, a hindrance to marriage during the times when everything is well, and that is passivity. Passivity. Uh, a notion to just disconnect because there's no per se reason to engage. You know, riding the wave, no, no greater effort being put forth, but just kind of settling your laurels, so to speak, uh, a sense of passivity. Um, whenever we consider commitment, though, and that commitment uh, has the ability to take us through the stormy weather that arrives in our life, and that depth of commitment is absolutely tested. Uh, we need that to be an anchor spot in the life of our society and in the life of our church concerning our marital relationships. Has anybody ever heard of, of a man by the name of Glenn Wolf? Glenn Wolf, a.k.a. is called Scotty Wolf. Uh, he's known, if you want to be known for something, please don't follow this, but he is known and holds the terrible distinction of the most often divorced man in the world. In his lifetime... This man has been married 28 times. One of his, <laughs> yeah. One of his, one of his marriages actually reached its seventh anniversary. And his shortest lasted a mere 19 days. So whenever, whenever you have people with a celebrity type status, in America today that may be known as having uh, went through marriages 28 times, then we must in the church underscore the validity and importance of commitment. Amen. The commitment in marriage, which is very much so as a, as a picture between Christ and his church. Now, I would say by and large, even in our world today, that most would probably deem Mr. Wolf's character a little bit less than normal. Uh, his character just a little bit less than even acceptable. But we are, we are quickly approaching that that could be in a generation or two very much so accepted. And so it's important to ring the bell of commitment in home, family, and within marriage as a result of that. The reason why is because, for one, the success of the church and the success of society is greatly contingent upon the success of the family. Amen. The success of the family. As a matter of fact, uh, societies and peoples who have, have, have had a breakdown in the family unit, many of them had grown just to further degradation and many times to extinction because a lot of what we're built upon and who and what we are and the ebb and the flow of life uh, among as society is dependent upon our families and particularly if we can, even the marital relationship between a man and a woman. Amen. Can someone say amen? amen? And so when we consider it, though, through the, the line or the venue of the church, our relationship to God yeah. is influenced by our relationship to our spouse. Right. Amen. <laughs> the quality of our marriage directly impacts our level, it does, of spirituality. Huh. When's the last time across town that you were having cross words 
And how good did you do in the service that night? Huh? <laughs> Amen? Okay, that never happened to anybody except me. Whenever Sister, whenever Sister McGee and I were traveling, evangelizing and preaching uh, somewhere almost every night, and, we, and you've heard me probably maybe say this before, but so everyone that didn't, and, and we would have uh, times and discussions uh, that one had a different opinion than the other. I'd always look at her, and I'd say, dear, it seems like this always happens on church night. Almost every night of our life was church night back then, but that's just the way it is. Amen. It seems like this always happens on church. I got to leave here and go to a pulpit to preach. We're crying out loud. We could have just taken care of this later. But in reality, your marital life and relationship has influence upon your relationship with God. Point in case, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7 states these words. And Peter has taken up, he has taken up the subject of marriage in chapter number 3. And he comes to a place here. He says, likewise, ye husbands, do well with them, speaking about your wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Note the last phrase now. He says to the husbands that your prayers be not hindered. <sighs> so the apostle Peter is saying, husbands, be conscious about this relationship that you have forged with your wife and, and keep that maintained and, and, and approach her with knowledge and, and give honor to her so that your prayers will not be hindered. What, what is Peter saying? He's saying whenever you got trouble in the home, it can cause trouble in the spiritual aspect of your life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. And I think that goes to reason. One of the reasons that Christ had the relationship between him and his church using the marriage as a model for that relationship. When there's trouble then in the relationship of the marriage, there is a trouble in the model of the reflection of Christ and his church on a spiritual level. Someone say amen. Amen. And so everybody say families are under attack. Families are under attack. Families are under attack. We enter into uh, the life of marriage. Perhaps some do different than what they once did. Uh, there's trouble starting from the very onset today whenever people enter into a relationship like that and they're looking for personal benefit rather than being the servant in the relationship. Where both people enter the relationship as a servant of what they can do for the other will have the less likelihood of uh, holding on to the spirit of entitlement of this is what I deserve. And yet that's the way that sometimes it's entered into. And so when we understand that family is under attack, let me just point out a few ways that over the centuries that the family has been under attack. Years ago, this is life. Man, wife, children. had some type of farmer, for the most part, agriculturally bent so that the husband and wife were working together in the farm. They reared their children. Their children were involved, taught at home. And they were involved in the family business as well. And so they're working alongside each other in the farm. And so all of the time that the family had was spent with one another in some type of manner of making a livelihood for themselves on their land. Most of their interaction was not with other people. That, that was a privilege and a luxury, having interaction with somebody else. Most of the interaction was husband with wife, uh, parents with children, children with parents. 
as it was years ago. But when we come to somewhere around the mid-1800s, America had this idea of this, this, this school and education movement that took into place. And then there's this mass production of the factory that begins to happen. And as a result of it, children now are taken away from the home for a good segment of time of the day to be educated in some measure, away from their mother, their father, away from that environment. And now that there's factories that's taken place upon the world, men, the industrial revolution, revolutionized the family as well. Because now men, for perhaps a little more money, a little better life, as it were, leaving the land of agriculture, leaving their, their lives of being farmers that they've grown up to, and now they're working in factories. So what's happening now? Mom, children, and dad, who used to all work together, be alongside one another, doing the things that they do, it was life, their interaction, their communication, they had the same experiences. Now children are in the school. Fathers are in the industry of the factory. Mom's left by herself. And so now they have more interaction with peer groups that they work with and go to school with than they do one another. I just want to talk about the history, if you will, of the attack against the family. And so then whenever the world wars came into place and men were all fighting the battles, now women felt the need that they and almost necessitated that they go to the factories and help make some of the weapons and such that needed to be made for their bows that are over in battle doing the war. And then there's time that the technology age came about and there's offices and that opened another door for many women to come in and commerce and offices. And so the social status of the family totally, totally changed because used to it was mom and dad with children husband and wife together but now they are split five different ways from Sunday and most of their interaction is outside of the home whether rather than being in the context of the home and so men are relating with other men at work kids are relating to other kids of their age wife Maybe is she having a few little get-togethers of a cup of tea with another wife across the way. And so this fragmentation then of the family by their gender and by their age meant now that they shared fewer interests that were alike with one another. I know, a little history lesson today, but that's okay. And so then as society grows, what we are up against, the attack against the family is this. Entertainment. Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Every waking hour. Entertainment. As a substitute for human-to-human -human communication. Mm-hmm. Years ago, the family rode together. Maybe, you know, they're going to church or whatever it is, and they could even have conversation there, a conversation around the dinner table, but that's not the case now. Entertainment. Everybody loves it, but I have a love-hate relationship with it. In reality, it's called television. Amen. Because entertainment, now people watch TV rather than sitting around the table as a family to eat. Now we got them in our vehicles. When you could go on a trip for three hours and have communication while you're going down the road, now they can have on headphones or on their phone or iPod or everything else, and they're being entertained. I'm really not trying to, I'm not saying anything bad about all those things, but I am saying this, all those things do have their proper place. 
We say that their benefits, and maybe in essence they are, but through another line, they could also be an attack against our families if they're not handled with moderation. Amen. And so, we, you know, we got game consoles. Man, we got Xboxes, Wii's. We got smartphones. We got all these other things that uh, mobile technology, you can just have isolated conversations. And so then again, the, the motivation and that lack of communication in the family happens, not just between mom and dad, but between parents and children. Because there's not just a breakdown, if you will, in the home concerning the marriage. There's a breakdown in the passing on of morals and values from parents to children. Because they go unspoken and untalked about and unsaid. And so if that's the case within the home, guess where the value system and the morals is going to come from? The peer groups that the children have at school. uh huh, And the value systems that are purported in the workplace of wherever they are. Okay, amen. What's amen? And so then, then there's, as a result of that, everybody's in their own corner, you know. And, and another concept that has come is a lack of parental discipline, lack of parental discipline and involvement in the lives of their children. And here's a situation, at least one stat said that in our world today, there's so much dealing with the abusive situations that they're not having much time to deal with how to properly handle a family unit because they're already trying to put out so many fires they can't tell them how to prevent a fire. There's an attack against the family, an attack against the home. Amen. And as society goes, do you know that people are getting married later in life than what they used to get married? And I don't, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I mean, it's probably wise to do that. Because to come to find out, they say that adolescents are maturing at a, a, a not as rapid a rate as they used to. See, whenever they were all at home and the responsibilities of work and labor and mom and dad was there, it caused a certain maturity to happen within them. But now in their own corners, having their entertainment, they say the age for maturity is constantly pushing further and further down the road concerning into adulthood. And since they are maturing later in life, listen, since they're maturing later in life, they have a lesser ability for making strong commitments. Because it takes a mature person to make a strong commitment. Mm -hmm. A mature person to make a strong commitment. And so they're getting married later, and that's probably a lot of wisdom right there. A lot of wisdom right there. But if you will, let's go back to Malachi here for a moment. And I've I got to be mindful here of time. I've got to be mindful of time here today. I understand that. The Bible says, he says, the Lord is a witness here that, that these men had dealt treacherously with the wife of their, their youth and their companion and the one that they are in covenant with and he speaks to these that are doing this, that are returning to Jerusalem and taking foreign wives and abandoning the wife of their youth. And he's basically saying in verse 15, he said, did, did not God, did not God make you and her one? 
And is that not we heard from the very beginning? Is that not what Christ spoke in the New Testament scripture when he even referred to the very beginning that from the beginning it was not so? A man and a woman, the two shall be one flesh. And so Malachi is reiterating this. Did not God make you two one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit whereof one that he might seek a godly seed. Now here's, here's the understanding I want you to gather from Malachi. Malachi predates the birth of Christ Jesus. Malachi predates Bethlehem and what took place there. Malachi does. Here is the situation. From the beginning in Genesis, God had told Eve, he said, there's gonna be a seed that is born of a woman and that seed will bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel." This was going to be the seed, everybody say seed, of a woman. Now, according to God in Genesis, the propagation, if you will, of humanity took place in the covenant of marriage. In other words, children were born and reared and raised from a man and a woman that got married, had relations, and a child was born. And so in order, listen to me, in order for that seed to come about, according to God, it necessitated a man and a woman to marry and have children. If they were ever to see the seed that was to bruise the head, that was predicated upon a God-defined home of one man and one woman that would have offspring. And so what we see here in Malachi, the Christ child is not born yet, the Christ child hasn't come into Bethlehem yet. And so every potential child that was born from a man and a woman according to God within the covenant of the marriage that he instituted, not out of wedlock, then was a potential, if it was a male, according to Isaiah, the virgin shall conceive, she shall cause his name. Every male was a potential Christ. And so he's saying, what have you done abandoning your covenant with that woman? What have you done abandoning that wife of your youth? Why, why have you done this? He is speaking to them in Malachi. Notice the words there now in verse 15 again, that he might seek a godly seed. God, God is seeking a godly seed and that seed is going to come through a woman that's had a relationship with a man in the covenant and the bond of marriage that God has ordained. What are you saying? I'm saying there is something that, and so say they didn't, they didn't know at this time of life that it was going to be a virgin that was going to conceive. Isaiah and Malachi kind of overlap with some of their prophecies. All they know is that this child is going to come about by being the seed of a woman. And he says, so don't be doing what you're doing because you are, you, you, it could be you that this comes about. It could be you that this comes about. Now here, here, is, here is the thing, folks. Here is the thing. The, the, the Old Testament scripture, not just relating to Jesus, but also to the church, the Bible says, if he be taken away, who shall declare his generation?" After Christ comes and he's been born and he, he, he has lived his life and he dies and he's resurrected and he goes away, the question even still is stamped upon our minds and in society, who's going to declare the Lord's generation? Well, I'll tell you who will. His church will. Right. Amen. Where Christ was the godly seed for his generation, 
We are the godly seed for our generation. And he says in order to protect the church, even the seed of this generation, there must be a a commitment, if you will, to the marital valve. Why? Because whenever there isn't, there's a breakdown in the home, there's a breakdown in the family, and as we've already said, when you got trouble with your spouse, there is trouble on a spiritual level as well. Could hinder the prayers as Peter spoke to us. And so he says, we, we've got to get all of this figured out. You, he made you one. There's a residue of the spirit. We're looking for a godly seed. He says, but this is what's happened here in verse 15. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. You, you don't want to abandon what God has ordained through the covenant of marriage. Now look, verse 16. I'm, I, I'm trying to keep conscious. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. He said he doesn't like this. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, Old Testament custom, Old Testament custom, that whenever a man was going to take a bride or a woman to be his bride, he would cover her with his garment. All right? We see this in the book of Ruth. Remember, Ruth goes back to Bethlehem of Judea with Naomi, her mother-in-law. Her husband has died. Ruth's husband has died. So is Naomi's husband has died. So Ruth goes back with her mother-in-law. As she there, she goes and she gathers some barley and grain in the field of one. Come to find out his name is Boaz. Boaz, according to Scripture, was a near kinsman of Naomi a near kinsman of her and had the ability to redeem her land back. Now, this is what Naomi told Ruth. Ruth, you go at night to the threshing floor and Boaz is going to be there because it's a time of harvest and they're all going to be laying there close to where the harvest is so that no one overtakes it or steals it. And she says, as he is sleeping there, you go and you lay at the feet of Boaz. And that's just what Ruth did. And Boaz awakens. He's a little frightened. He noticed somebody's at his feet. And Ruth says, Boaz, don't worry about anything. But this is what she asked him. She says, will you please cover me with the skirt of your garment? I guess it was the first time a lady asked a man to marry her. She says, will you cover me with the skirt of your garment? Because that was customarily. If he covered her with the skirt of his garment, then it was his act, if you will, of saying, will you marry me or I want to marry you? Well, God was telling this man in Malachi 16, he says the garment, he says the garment has now been covered with violence. What? He's saying you have covered that wife of your youth with your garment, indicating to her that you wanted to marry her and you did marry her, but now you are wanting to put her away and so now that garment you covered her with now it's covered with violence you're wanting to rip it off you're wanting to undo that because you you said you wanted to marry now you're wanting to undo what you said you was going to do said you're dealing treacherously against the wife of your youth now now hold on Uh, I want to we only got a little bit of time just to say something okay If the marriage, as Ephesians illustrates this, Ephesians 5, is a model of Christ in his church, 
I'm kind of going to swing in here from a different route here. I want to give some encouragement and hope to anybody that's sitting here this morning that has the past broken marriages, broken relationships, before conversion, after conversion, whatever the case may be. I want to offer some hope this morning based upon the premise of that old custom of the garment being covered over the one that he wanted to marry. And this is how. The Bible says, Brother Zach, if you could get me, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse, verse number 27, the Bible states these words. And he, thank you very much. The Bible says that he might present, and this is, this is in the line of thought of the Apostle Paul speaking about the marriage being similar to Christ and his church. He said that he might present it, speaking of the church to himself, God, a glorious church. Look, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How can we that have had in a generation that there's an attack against the family, homes, families, children, marriages, some have been dissolved. Some of us are sitting here with, with some of those issues and maybe on mornings like this morning when I start talking about it, it just makes you cringe. There's shame maybe and even guilt that accompanies with all of those things we're standing in the presence of a holy place and a holy God. Let me tell you how this is possible. He said, I'm going to have a church that's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. How is it possible? Because you being a part of the church, being born of the water and of the spirit, Christ says, I desire to marry them. All of their wounds, all of the mistakes, all of the baggage that they came to me and repented of, I desired to marry them. And according to the old custom then, he puts his garment, he puts his garment over them. And so whenever he comes back for his bride, the garment is without spot. And the garment is without wrinkle. And the garment is without any such thing. Because it's not their own personal life or personal garment that they're bearing, but they're bearing the garment of the one that has covered them. They're bearing the garment of the one that says, I want to marry you. I want to, I want to follow in this relationship with you. And so when they look at you, they, he doesn't look at all the past wrongs. He doesn't see all the past mistakes. He doesn't see all the brokenness and the hangups and the things that you have guilt and shame over. He sees his own garment that's pressed and pure and unadulterated. Hallelujah. So take faith today. If I can swing in a positive, I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable today. But if you've had those times that, you know what, it, it was you were the one that were put away or vice versa, I want you to know this morning that through the hands of a merciful and a gracious God with spirits of repentance, he'll cover you in his garment. And the moment he does, you become glorious. The moment that he does, you become flawless. And the... Oh, yeah! 
What are you saying? I'm reaching out to people in this house this morning that come in here every service, service by service. You're carrying down loads of guilt and shame and frustration. I'll never be good enough. I'll never do enough to get to where I need to get. Let me tell you this morning, if you've repented of your sins, if you come to know him, amen, this morning through his spirit and his power, his garment is over you. He's covered you. He's somebody say, I'm covered. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to hold to my word. Hallelujah. He said, man, he said, don't, don't deal treacherously. Don't do violence to what you've cast over her. And you say, well, Brother McGee, then, you know, there's always the possibility and so on and so forth. Let me tell you the extent of the Lord, the extent of the Lord, Hosea 3, uh, Brother Zach, uh, Hosea 3 and verse 1, and I'll close with this. The extent of the Lord and his faithfulness to us is almost too difficult to even comprehend. In Hosea, he is speaking of a man that is going after his wife that had been an adulteress. To depict the Lord's own consistent desire of us as his church. The Bible says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. Verse 2, So I bought her, so I brought, I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and a half an omer of barley. What is he saying? He's saying, this is a woman, this is a woman that has betrayed you, this is a woman that's done this to you and that to you. He says, but I want you to go and take her as your own. Listen. Doesn't matter what other gods you served. Doesn't matter what paths you walked. He's desirous enough that he's going to seek you out. No matter how bad the circumstantial evidence of your wrongs may have been up to this point in time, he's seeking you out. And he's going to purchase you by his own blood. Not with corruptible things as silver and gold and cast the skirt of his garment over you. And here is the thing. Here's the thing you don't have to worry about concerning the relationship with the Lord. He will stay committed. He will stay committed to his relationship. My question this morning is this. On a physical level and on a spiritual level, will you? Will you? If we bow our heads in this place today. Hallelujah. Father, I love you, Jesus, this morning. I pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.